1: Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is most of us share nearly identical genetic material. If you compared two different individuals' genetic blueprints, only about 0.1% would be different. We humans also share about 7% of the same genetic structure as E. coli, 21% with worms, 90% with mice, and up to 98% with chimpanzees. And from a purely personal perspective, I am more than 4% Neanderthal. It shows right here in my forehead, see? Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices, I'm pretty excited about today's podcast. It is going to be a lot of fun because we have a human guinea pig on, a human guinea pig who happens to have written four New York Times bestsellers, who's an editor at large at Esquire Magazine, a commentator for NPR, which means he must have a sexy voice, and he's a columnist (laughs) for Mental Floss Magazine, and he's a New Yorker, of course. I am talking about none other than AJ Jacobs. AJ, welcome to the show, man.
2: Great to be here, Dave. Thank you. I think I share like 92% of my DNA with guinea pigs. So, but so do you. <laughs> so do you. So everyone's a human guinea pig. That's a really good point.
1: Uh we all are guinea pigs whether we like it or not. It's just a question of whether you pay attention to your experiments or they just happen to you. Exactly. Good point. Now, your three domains, and I love the way you do this, my uh, my biohacker sort of blueprint ex- explaining the definition has these domains on it. And you talk about body, mind, and spirit. Why are those the three domains for hacking that you look at?
2: Well, I mean, I started this uh, just because I love self-improvement, and I needed a lot of self-improvement. I still do. I still do. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I'm definitely a fixer-upper. Uh, and I thought, yeah, why not focus on, yeah, there you go. The first, I started with the mind. So I spent like two years on that. Then I spent two years on the spirit and then two years on the body. So each of my books sort of was a, uh, was a deep dive into hacking one of those areas.
1: I really like how you and uh, I, I guess other guys like Tim Ferriss has done the same thing. You find something you really want to do and then you're like, I'm going to explore it and I'm gonna make a book out of it. And that's such a, a powerful way to tell your story, but by living it, instead of just sort of being like the anthropologist observing from a bubble and just getting immersed in it, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And like you have that photo of you that we'll probably put in the show notes online if we're allowed uh, of you with you know this <laughs> giant like, I mean you make ZZ Top look kind of like wusses with this beard. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> compared to how you look now you know, you're clean shaven and you look like you know a new york guy um whatever uh, that looks like
2: you've got you got a little beard not not a biblical one but i see uh yeah. your whole you, you're not bad very not bad yeah i know that was uh i definitely do commit to my projects and i love them i feel yeah. very lucky that i can make a living like that you know, the beard was for a book about the Bible, and my wife hated it. She would not <laughs> kiss me for four months, and it was just a disaster. But it was a fascinating experience, uh, just trying to live by the rules of the Bible.
1: All right, I have to ask. I mean, I've grown some, uh, not nearly as impressive as that beards just because I end up getting frustrated or I have some PR thing I have to look halfway civilized for. Um, <laughs> did you shave your mustache, or did you let that grow, too? Like, did you trim
2: no, I let the whole thing grow. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. It was like, you know, there's a lot. The, there are some advantages. It keeps your chin warm in the winter. It's like a sweater. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you do get mixed reactions. Some people, like, cross the street to avoid you because you look like a crazy person. And, and you do spend time at airport security. But you also get quite a bit of attention. It's like, you know, being pregnant. People come up and they want to, like, touch the beard.
1: Oh, that's too funny. Uh, mine's been maybe an inch long, and I grow a really full, kind of fluffy, manly beard. Probably similar to you from your photo, and it, it's really funny because some women are like, "Oh my God, you're so hot," and others are kind of like, "Oh my God, you must be dirty." Yeah, it's it's very polarizing. What having a beard does, isn't it?
2: <laughs> it is extremely polarizing. It's like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so.
1: Your beard was like Hillary Clinton. That's a great tweet yeah. right there. <laughs>
2: Some love it, some hate
1: it. <laughs> now, I'm sure your beard wasn't your greatest experiment so far. What do you think is your best experiment?
2: Well, I loved. Uh, I love all of them. Uh, I mean, the the. I'll just tell you the background on on the beard one was not all about the beard. Oh, yeah. it was because I. Um, I wanted to work on my spirit. I grew up with no religion at all. As I say in the book, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. So, <laughs> Ouch. Uh, <laughs> no Ouch anecdote. for Olive Garden. <laughs> uh, or Olive Garden. It's a wonderful restaurant. i got nothing against it. But uh, I, uh, I thought one way to explore the Bible and learn about my heritage would be to dive in and actually live it. So that's what I do with all my experiments. I I try to live it. And so I wrote down every single rule I could find in the Bible, and I decided to follow them all from the famous ones, the Ten Commandments and, uh, and love your neighbor, but also the less well known ones. Don't shave the corners of your beard. And as we discussed, I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow. And you know, it says stone adulterers. So I figured I should at least try to stone an adulterer. I I used pebbles. I used very small stones. So that was How did you uh,
1: target the adulterer to choose?
2: Well this guy actually he approached me. I was very much into the character. Uh so I had on my robe and my beard and sandals. <laughs> Dude, I, I was in you, Central Park. <laughs> You're awesome. I try to commit, and uh, he came up to me and he said, why are you dressed like that? And I explained, I'm trying to live by the Bible from the Ten Commandments to Stoning Adulterers. And he goes, well, I'm an adulterer, are you going to stone me? And that's when I said, yeah, that would be great, Uh, thank you for the offer. (laughs) And I took out a handful of stones that I had been carrying around for months, waiting for this opportunity. And he actually grabbed them out of my hands and threw them at my face. So I thought, an eye for an eye. I could throw one back at him. So that is how I ended up stoning an adulterer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is maybe the coolest story that's ever occurred on Bulletproof Executive Radio. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, thank you, Dave. I'm trying to think of how they did some hacking back in the Bible. They, they kind of did, though, actually. It did teach me about hacking my my brain and my emotions, weirdly enough. Uh, I,
1: I want to dig in more on that. And There's another called a biohack in the Bible. I think it's in Levictus, if memory serves, and it's about if you have black mold in your house, you should burn it. Actually,
2: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they knew something I'm back very then. Very concerned about mold. You're right.
1: Yeah, uh, I know that mold and consciousness it messes with me and it causes weird dreams. If you live in a moldy house, like you have nightmares a lot. It's just weird stuff that I don't think we have full explanations for yet. But Interesting. Uh, okay, so when you lived by the rules in the Bible for one of your four books on you know pursuing all these different explorations. What what happened to your consciousness and, and your awareness and things like that when you started following these rules?
2: Well, one of the big lessons I learned was just how much your behavior affects your thoughts, how much the exterior affects the interior. Uh, there's a great quote I love. I wish I had made it up, but it's by the guy who invent who created Habitat for Humanity. Oh. And he says, you know him? He, no, just, just uh, I, I know his, his work.
1: Is. Those guys are legit. Okay. Right.
2: Uh, and he said, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. Right. And I love that. And that's what I found doing this. You know, I would I would force myself. The, the Bible says you can't lie or gossip or covet. And I'm a journalist and I live in New York City. So that's, you know, that's my job. So I was like, how do I do this moral makeover? How do I become a better person? And that's what I decided to do is, is pretend to be a better person, and the more I pretended, eventually I became a little bit of a better person. You know, I still lie and covet and gossip a, a huge amount because I'm human, but I do it a lot less, and it's all because I just forced myself to do it. So so that's a big lesson from the Bible and from Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. They talk about this in a lot. Just Even something as simple as forcing your face into the shape of a smile will make you in a better mood. Your your brain sort of catches up with the behavior.
1: Is part of this because in order to do the experiment you had to actually think about what you were doing, so you just became more aware because you're running a little filter that's like am I lying or coveting right now? Am I lying or coveting right now? Was that part of your process?
2: Well, that is true. I mean, it's fascinating to see how much you you are how much for instance you lie uh, without realizing it I mean it is this once you start to pay attention to it you're lying you know 50 60 times a day at least I was uh, it, and wow. same with gossip you know gossip <laughs> uh, it, it you can't believe the portion of uh, the percentage of talk that is negative when you break it down so yes being aware this whole idea of metacognition I love I'm a huge fan of thinking about thinking so anytime I can do that, and that's what this forced me to do. It made me think: What am I thinking about? Am I using these? You know, I only have sixteen hours a day to think. Am I using these sixteen hours wisely?
1: I've done this electronic meditation thing called Forty Years of Zen, uh, where you spend seven days with a lie detector hooked up to your head, telling you when you're deceiving oh, yourself. Like it, it's really, it, it's really intense, and, and actually very difficult and sort of painful. Um but uh, it it drove me to have a little a little process running like am I lying to myself with what I'm doing right now and am I lying to the external mm. world? And now my nervous system or something automatically flags it and like it's not normal to consciously choose to lie. I mean there there's times when, with my kids where I I might simplify a situation like, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk about what murder is today, so it's when a person right. is less kind to another. Okay, was that a lie or just, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but, <laughs> but you know, a six-year-old doesn't need to know about killing like that. So, otherwise, though, <laughs> true. I, I, I really strive, and I haven't thought of it from a biblical perspective, but I really strive to to speak precisely so that my words mean what I say they did. And <clears throat> in the company, and for the Bulletproof company, we're still tiny, uh, but... Like we have a no gossip rule. So if you're going to say something bad about someone, we actually call the person up so you can say something bad about them and we can work it out rather than just talking behind their back. And we have uh, uh, this weasel word policy and I haven't even announced it to uh, employees yet, but uh, every time I use weasel language where I say, I'm going to try to do something, which means... I'm not going to do it. I'm either going to do it or I'm going to choose not to do it, right? <laughs> trying is is wussing out. Uh, so You're every right. time I do that, they're going to get like credit to get more bulletproof stuff, uh, <laughs> you know, like more coffee and everything else. So I'm going to be personally accountable. Idea. Just because what you just yeah. said there, you grew that skill just through trying to live
2: it for two years. Ooh, I said
1: trying there. That's you know.
2: true. <laughs> but- well, you know... What you bring up was uh, that brings up another experiment I did, and this one was not part of a book. This was uh, actually for Esquire magazine, Mm -hmm. and it was uh, I experimented in something called radical honesty. Oh,
0: cool! uh, Yeah, this
2: was, and well, it was in the movement was started by this guy, a psychologist in Virginia, uh, named Brad Blanton, and he believes you should never lie, but he goes further than that. He says. That whatever's on your brain should come out of your mouth. No filter. So I was like, that's interesting. So I tried that for a month. And that was the craziest, probably the the most (laughs) horrible month of my life. Did you get punched? uh, I did not get punched. I thought I would. But I mean, well, I'll give you one example. Like my wife and I were out at a restaurant and we saw some friends of hers from college and they were like, oh, we should all get together. And I had to say what was on my mind, which was, I said, you know, you seem like nice people, but I just really don't want to get together with you. I I mean, I don't get to see my own friends, so I'd rather not see you again. And that was just so (laughs) awkward and horrible. My wife was furious and with good reason. So I did learn that the no filter rule is probably not a great rule, but I will say I learned one very valuable lesson from that. And I do try to practice what I call sustainable radical honesty because, and I am much more honest than I used to be, especially in positive things. Like for instance, uh, during this year, I would, I mean, during this month of radical honesty, I would think about my mentor, uh, and that I hadn't, spoken to him in months and you know I so I'd call him up and tell him how much he meant to me and how how he really helped my life and career and it was a little awkward because you know we're men and we're not supposed to be so yeah. expressing of our emotions but I think he appreciated it and I still no it certainly helped me so this idea of really expressing the positive emotions on your mind. So, really telling people how much you appreciate them—that has made my life better. So, radical positive or radic- sustainable radical honesty.
1: Do you go out of your way to not say unkind things about other people now, or I, I mean, like like either in front of them or behind their back, sort of like that no gossip thing? Like, what?
2: well, I do try not to. Yeah, yeah, behind their back, I don't try. I try not to. Uh, although it's very tempting, but yeah. I do in terms of. You know, there are ways to tell people the truth, but to couch it in terms that are much gentler than "I never want to see you again." So, yeah, <laughs> that, that,
1: yeah, yeah, it it costs us something to say negative things about other people. Like, I I, I feel I, less energy. I I'm just less happy if I'm bagging on someone. You know, mm-hmm. to their face or in in public, and I, you know, I'd rather like this is how I'm going to behave. This is what I'm going to do, versus like you know, you're a poopy head, as my six year old would say. It, so. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs>
1: now, uh, okay, this is already just so fascinating. But you've you've done like the Bible book. You've done Radical Honesty, which that wasn't a whole book, right? That was that
2: was a chapter in in one of my books. Chapter, so, uh, originally right. an article in Esquire. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Now, what about the other two? Um, you outsource your life, and I i really want to zoom in on this because I'm picking your brain. Next week at South by Southwest, uh, Manish Sethi, uh, the guy who created Pavlok, that cool wristband thing that helps you with habit forming. Um, He's hosting a panel on automating your life and Tim Ferriss was slated to speak and he got double booked. So at the last minute, they asked me to step in and I don't know that I can fill his shoes. He's, he knows more about automating his life than I do, but you might know as much as he does because you've done more of it than I have. So give me the down low on <laughs> on how to automate your life so I can pick up all the tricks from you and I can share them with an audience at oh, Southwest. Well, sure. Educate me, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know if I know everything but uh well I did you know I've known Tim for many many years uh he actually uh called me uh after my first book came out and told me he was oh, writing cool. a book uh and th- I had written a piece in Esquire about outsourcing my life where I hired a team of people in Bangalore India yeah. to do everything for me so they answered my phone answered my email they argued with my wife for me uh they <laughs> That was brilliant <laughs> oh, it's great. It was the best month of my life. And I the best article laugh. ever, Three. by the
1: way. I, the article I was oh, rolling on thank the floor you when Dave. It,
2: so. <laughs> You are kind. Uh, so, yeah, I am a big fan of uh, automating. You know what I've discovered is an interesting twist is uh, automating your, uh, your conscience. There are these apps, or I tested out Google Glass, and you can send yourself little messages. And what I like to send myself A message is like, uh, you know, is are you thinking? Are you using your mind wisely? Because you know, a lot of times I'll be in the line at the drugstore and I'll I'll be like so angry at this woman because she doesn't know how to swipe her credit card, and and then I'll get a little ding from myself, a little email saying, you know, what are you thinking about right now? And that sort of snaps me out, and I'm like, you know what? This is such a waste of my mental energy. I could use this time. To do something productive, you know you don't actually have to you can use your downtime to think of interesting thoughts, so I do like that idea it's sort of the outsourced conscience
1: and so you were wearing Google glasses and you had them set up to to ding and remind you to think positive thoughts basically
2: yeah exactly wow. uh, and i do you don't need a google glass you do you can do it with uh, uh you know an iphone that's the, there there are many apps or you can just program your email to send yourself messages throughout the day. Uh, You know, whatever you want to say, you know, uh, be kind to others, give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, uh, you only live once, you're going to die. I'm a big fan of the whole um, memento mori, that uh, reminding myself that I'm going to die. I find that very... Uh, it's a little bit uh creepy but it's also very soothing because you realize it's true you know we really don't have that long hair, so you know stop it with obsessing about little things
1: it it's funny to hear you tie those things together the the desire to think poor thoughts about the person you know the cashier going slow in front of you or something in in my view of the consciousness and of of the way our brains are wired like that comes from the meat operating system uh, the, the ego is another name for that. But the part of you that's there to keep you alive, and it's always worried about just one thing. It's always worried about dying, right? At the end of the day, mm. like, you know, if that person right. is a bad person, and when you really dig down through your thoughts, it's like, oh, yeah, somehow in there, it was like, well, if they don't serve me fast enough, I won't have enough food. If I have enough food, mommy won't love me, and then I'll die. It's some weird, irrational <laughs> thing that's like, it's not about you, what you think of, because you understand here, but you're feeling it down here in your heart. Right. And... So, like hacking that is is honestly the most important thing you can do. Better than eating, you know, a bulletproof diet or you know any of these other things I've ever found. Like, if you could just do that, you'll always like be better off. And part of that is is just becoming comfortable with the fact. that, Yeah, yeah, you're gonna die sometime.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, and and I like what you say about if you if you look deep down, it's it's. I mean the amount of cognitive biases we have is astounding and the you know uh I did an article on that uh, about how how we're programmed to think in a certain way because of our caveman roots and how it doesn't apply to today you know we we've got uh I've heard it said we've got uh caveman hardware and and uh you know space age software so it's really a a mix there so I, I like what you're saying about when you really go deep, we're using our brains quite wrong.
1: It's, it, it's a, I think, a lifelong task to continue to do that. And Even if you talk to you know, the Buddhist monks, and in, in my understanding, the Buddhists were some of the first people to figure out this, oh, it's a fear of death thing. Um, but even with all of that, it, it, they're still practicing a lifelong, the most, you know, Exalted people there who who are the most enlightened still say, "Oh, I made a mistake there. I thought a bad thought, you know." And then, and then they do whatever they do about it. So it's that building a process that matters. And what mm, you've done that's right really, that's really unique here uh, is that you're saying, "Well, part of that process doesn't have to be an internal burden. It can be an external burden by having your iPhone remind you to think a positive yeah. thought. Like, how cool is that? Really."
2: Well, I'm a big fan of it. I mean, I'm a big fan of, uh, as you know, automating uh, because I don't trust willpower. I just think willpower is totally overrated and we don't have much of it. And what we do have, we spend in the morning. You know, it's a fixed quantity during the day. So by the end of the day, like if there's food lying, if there's, you know, unfortunately, I have jelly beans in my house right now and I know (laughs) at about six o'clock it's just going to go to hell. So I am a big fan of, of preparing uh, against, you know, uh, trying to battle my willpower by preparing for it and knowing I'm going to be weak. The Odysseus strategy, you probably heard that phrase where, you know, they... Talk about they, that. They, well, that's uh, in the Odyssey. Uh, the uh, Odysseus was, uh, knew that he was going to go with his boat and hear the sirens. Which were these beautiful mermaids, and they they sing so beautifully that you jump into the water and die. So he knew that was going to happen. So he got his uh, he got his sailors to tie him to the mast so that he couldn't jump in. So he was preparing. He was doing sort of pre willpower. He was like saying, "I know this is going to happen." So I'm, gonna... and that's what I find incredibly helpful. The Odysseus strategy. Now you don't have to. Lash yourself to your tr- your chair, but there are lots of steps you can take to sort of outsource your willpower. And one of my favorites is just putting my iPhone in another room, and and even on another, on the top shelf uh, in a closet. So you really have to climb up there, and you and you kind of while you're doing that, you're so embarrassed that you you're like <laughs> I can't do this, and then you go back to work. So yeah, for me, it's all and same with putting food. On the top shelf, put the put the junk food away on the top shelf so it's not at eye level, so you're not tempted. Uh, there's the the small plates idea. I love that because then you're not tempted to just fill it up with all this food. So there's lots of ways you can sort of tweak your environment to make yourself healthier.
1: One of the things that interests me around that is the the Pavlok device, uh, which is just coming out. Manisha's done his, his Kickstarter for it. And this is a, a wristband, but it locks on, software-wise. And you can say, I'm going to do this thing, and the wristband won't come off until you complete whatever amount of time and you do it, and it has GPS awareness. So if you say, I'm going to the gym for you know, X number of, of minutes for X number of days, it's not coming off. And if you don't go to the gym, <laughs> it can actually, like, your friends can remotely shock you to remind you to go to the gym.
2: Oh wow, that is funny. I never, I haven't heard of that. It, I mean, That's it's a whole it's,
1: new level of accountability. It sounds over the top, but it's got like the social side of things where people are like, "Okay, uh, you know, I want support from my friends," but we're talking about willpower. So all of a sudden, now you're tackling like that meat operating system. You're harnessing that and saying, "All right, you want to not feel pain, then you better do what my conscious brain wanted me to do in the first place." <laughs> so I'm, I'm intrigued at, at just the, the ways of hacking willpower there.
2: Yeah, Um, that's a great one. I hadn't heard of that. I I did try one during one of my books where um, I was trying to eat more healthily, and I I was addicted to these dried mangoes, which you think might be healthy, but they're really just packed with sugar. They're candy, basically. Yeah, they're candy. grows on a tree. So I had, uh, there's this one hack that a guy in, uh, it was a University of Chicago professor, Nobel Prize winner came up with, which is that... uh, is sort of the the carrot, I mean the stick instead of the carrot, that if you break your pledge then you will pay monetarily, you will lose money and you'll have to, you sign a contract that you're going to give money to a charity. But here's the twist to make it even more powerful, it's you give money to a charity you hate. (laughs) because then (laughs) right like so I would pledge to you know I'm not going to eat any of these dried mangoes and I told my wife if I do you give a hundred dollars to I believe it was the American Nazi party that I said and I was like yeah so every time I looked at a a mango I'm like there is no way I'm going to eat that because I do not want to be funding the American Nazi party and it was incredibly effective. And I've heard people use this strategy for uh, stopping smoking or any of these really hard habits to break.
1: So you've harnessed the power of aversion to do that. But yes. going back to what we talked about earlier, living biblically and all that, when you're thinking those thoughts of aversion or you know something you hate, every time you do that, it's like thinking those negative thoughts about the cashier in line. So you know they the old north american story about you know grandpa which wolf will will survive you know the mean one or the nice one and the answer is well whichever one you feed so i, <laughs> I i'm i'm questioning whether using a version as a as a way to get things done is spiritually a good move for, for you just to like feel good about yourself in the morning like do you benefit more from fighting against something or working towards something and
2: uh, well it's true i do yeah. prefer the carrot to the stick if you yeah. got a choice but sometimes if it's such a hard habit <laughs> to break you break out yeah. the stick
1: getting it done getting the right thing done the right way is is so terribly important uh, like just but getting it done first and foremost so i right. I, I get you there
2: No, I'm, like, you know, as a parent, you always try to do, like, you know, reward them instead of, like, threaten them. Uh, So uh, I am all for that. I'm with you on that. But in this case, nothing was working. So I went for the extreme. Cool. I want to go
1: back to outsourcing. Yeah. All right. I still need to be schooled on this so I can drop some knowledge bombs at South by Southwest. So three most effective life automation, kind of outsourcing yourself, things that you came across.
2: I actually read a very interesting article in the New York Times by these two economists who talk about it's actually a much better economic decision to outsource these tasks uh, because that, that frees up time for you to think more strategically. And, it, you know, whether it's come up with an idea that's going to make you a lot more money. So it's not a waste of money to be spending uh, money to have people do the, the, the smaller tasks. And then the other part is, you know, I feel a little guilty about making other people <laughs> do these boring tasks. So you have to wrestle with your conscience about that. Uh, and uh, I also wrestled with my conscience because... You know, the whole idea of outsourcing, you know, am I, if by hiring people in India, am I depriving people of jobs here in North America? And that was a big problem. My favorite solution was a guy who wrote me, and he said, you know what, I lost my job to outsourcing, so I hired an outsourcer to look for a new job for me, (laughs) and the outsourcer found me a new job. And I was like, that is brilliant. Maybe that's the solution
1: that is the coolest thing it's almost like our economy like, like you can only create money by creating debt and so you can only create outsourcing by outsourcing to create outsourcing we can create like a, a pyramid scheme of outsourcing where none of us have to do anything i i'm intrigued exactly. i like it <laughs> that's really funny okay so uh i'm a supporter of, of that by the way i don't do most of my own shopping on amazon i ask my uh, amazing and wonderful executive assistant to do it. Also because Amazon's going to tempt me with all this other crap I don't really need. So then Mm -hmm. I'm going to look at it and then I'll probably end up, oh, I I should research that and I should click that and I might buy it, I might not, but I'm going to spend all that time. And if I'm like, this is the thing, please make it appear at the right place at the right time and pay for it with the right card, all those, you talk about willpower, all that decision making fatigue, of of all those little micro decisions, I don't have to, to do those. And I, I, feel kind of like I'm a big baby because there's all these things I could do that I don't do. Like, could I outsource like someone putting food in my mouth? Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> but the psychology of it there is like if I if I'm going to share the most information I can and and do the most good with the bulletproof executive, I, I shouldn't be spending time on those things. So I make this kind of little bargain that's like I, I better be doing my my very best uh, to serve others. Uh, in the context of, of what I'm doing with this information, and in order to do that, it's okay to let people do things that I'm capable of doing that I I sometimes even like doing. But just to like focus on being a dad and you know doing the the research and the writing and the things like that and you know recording interviews with guys like you, so it's <laughs> like it's so impactful. All right. I
2: agree. Yeah, you got to get over that initial guilt and and realize you know it's you're you're just trying to. to in the world, you can, and this actually will help you do, do more good things.
1: What other outsourcing things worked really well for
2: you? Uh, let's see. Um, well, I don't know if this counts, but uh, it's sort of in the same ballpark. But I'm very into the whole uh, quantified self, which I know you like as well, the, the keeping track of yeah. everything. So I still am a big fan of. Uh, of my, you know, I'm still uh, on the Fitbit, and one of them works. I I just got stuck with a Fitbit because I've been on it for like years. But uh, you know, that uh, going on the social sites and seeing how many uh, how many steps your friends take, and and they're comparing it to you, and they're making fun of you if you don't take enough steps. That I think is good because that's outsourcing. You know, you're, that's a little bit of outsourcing because the peer pressure, you're you using peer pressure for good. So I'm all for uh, these quantified steps. And, you know, another site that I recommend uh, is, have you been on any sites like charitymiles.com or earnedit.com? I love them because this is, they link up to your Fitbit or Fuel Band or Jawbone and they give you credit for your steps and a corporate donor will give money to a charity of your choice For so you take like 10,000 steps and then a corporation will guarantee that they'll give like 50 cents to help feed the hungry so then if you're sitting on your butt you feel like oh my god I'm such a bastard I'm uh you know I, I could be out there earning money for for hungry people so that is some serious Motivation.
1: That, like, plays on your guilt. Wow. I, I love that idea. So if you noticed a change in audio quality, that's because we just switched over to using a landline to get audio so you can get the best experience as you're commuting in traffic to hear what AJ has to say because, well, I'm learning some cool stuff.
2: And Well, the- I'll tell you, I mean, that was quite a, uh, a technical snafu, but we got through it and you know what we were talking about before is not getting annoyed at not using our our 16 hours of of thoughts to have these you know uh waste of time negative thoughts so so i when we first got cut off i was like oh my god <laughs> and then i was like you know what why am i getting so upset who cares we'll get through this it's not the worst you know it's it's quite a first world problem
1: it is indeed, and we're not doing a live broadcast, which would have been a little more stressful. So if I had to call you tomorrow, you know maybe in the middle of the video, it would look like we both changed clothes, and that would be that right <laughs> you know, there are worse things exactly uh, no no wardrobe malfunctions allowed on this show, uh, except with certain <laughs> guests. <laughs> <laughs> So we were still talking about automating your life. I want to know, what do you still automate after you went through your whole outsourcing experiment that led to that amazing article? Uh, what do you still, just aside from shopping, what else like is on the list?
2: Well, I'm a big fan of, I do a lot of interviews for my work, so I definitely have other people transcribe them, even though it can be embarrassing because sometimes when you're interviewing someone, not you, you uh but you know, when I interview people, sometimes I sound like an idiot, but you just have to get over that ego and uh, and let other people do it. Uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, just instead of come, I come up with like a list of of little things to, to research that I could do with a Google search, and it would take me you know five minutes, but those five minutes add up. So I sometimes have a list, you know, I'm doing a presentation, a TED Talk, and I want to know how do I get free photos that I don't have to, you know, free non-copyright photos. So I just added that to the list and someone's going to look those up for me. And I do think it's worth paying, you know, $15 an hour to have that done.
1: Yeah, it's enlightened laziness maybe is is the way to talk about it. (laughs) I like that phrase. Uh, it, uh, that guilt thing. Efficient laziness. How's that? There you go. And, uh, one of the things that's motivated a lot of my career, people sometimes don't know this, but uh, I was one of the very early innovators around e-commerce and uh, cloud computing. Uh, the first company that the Google's first servers, Yahoo's first servers, Hotmail's first servers were like at, at a company where I was one of the early employees. And mm-hmm. I always... I always said that the best people who run computers are the laziest because they're going to write a little script to automate their entire job away. Then they just sit there and learn new stuff while the computer gets their paycheck for them. And (laughs) what I never realized was that you could do that with the rest of your life at the the same way. Like anytime you can get something off your plate to let you do what's fun. And and for me, it's like, you know, I'm a husband. uh, I'm a father and I have the bulletproof Executive, and if it's not on that list, you know, and of course, self care is part of all that. If it's not on that list, like, really, I suppose they have friends and all that, but but all of those are, are <laughs> valuable. But the little things, like, like get them, get them out of there, and and it is lazy, I guess.
2: That's true. and lazy in a good way. Well, you know, when I did this, uh, I tested out Google Glass for a couple of months for yeah. Esquire, and uh, and one of the things was mm-hmm. like just automating. I don't know if you'd call it automating as much yeah. as sort of getting a. Um, a guru or a concierge, uh, or, uh, a, almost like a caddy for life. Because, uh, for instance, I was, I decided to try to, uh, I I use the Google glass to see, to do things I shouldn't be doing with it. Just, just for the article. I would not do this in real life, but I decided, what if we tried to cheat at poker? So I got my cousin, who is a professional poker player in Las Vegas, cool. and we spinked up uh, my Google Glass so that he could see what I saw, so he could see my cards and the expressions on the faces of other people. And in my little Google Glass video screen, I could see him. So I would be playing and then he would hold up a little sign saying raise or he would say fold or, you know, he would say bluff here and bet $20. And it was just hilarious and a joy and it actually worked. (laughs) I gave the money back to my friends at the end of the night because I didn't (laughs) want to be a total asshole. But it uh, it was fantastic to see that these things actually work. So, you know, that I think in the future there will be. People that you can hire to be in your ear telling you, to give you one other example of this, you know, I've been married for 13 years, so I'm not going out to any single bars. But I got this young guy who was like 25, good looking, and he was, I had him wear the Google Glass. And I was at my computer, so I could see what he saw, and I could say, all right, go over to that woman. You know, here's what you should say. And uh, so can you imagine, like, you know, uh, if you're a single guy hey. and, and you can wear this Google Glass without getting beaten up, which see, is a, a big caveat, you could have if you Neil... can put this on and have some really slick guy uh, telling you what to say to women, how would be a hilarious, a fantastic little treat? By the way, I'm not saying that I was a very good Cyrano, I am totally, you know, I have no game, because I've been married for 13 years, yeah. so I did not help him at all. He did not see any action, but it was a, a fun experiment.
1: Well, it sounds like, number one, we've got the world's best reality show planned, and, and number, <laughs> number two, the idea that you could have Neil Strauss in your ear, you know, author of, of The Game, uh, exactly. or someone like that, uh, with, that's really funny, and in fact... It'd be really funny if if the men and the women in a bar all had those on, and you didn't know who was getting guidance. (laughs) Like I'm telling you, TV producers. I know we have a few who listen to the show. There you go. Sign it up
2: right now. I I love that. Uh, I mean, I felt a little bad because there was you know some deceit involved, but at the end of every conversation he would say, you know, by the way, I've got this guy in my ear. And that actually produced more, far more interact. You know, the women were much more interested in that fact than in that he had these preset lines.
1: That is hilarious. And speaking of Google Glass, if you're watching on video, this is what an unopened Google Glass looks like.
2: Oh, look at you.
1: Well, no, I have one, and it's been here for two months, and I haven't Uh had the time to open it and configure it. Literally, like... On my calendar, my EA has booked me to talk to someone or to do something every single waking minute, uh, to the point that that I really I'm like dying to do this. I took it out. I tried them on once and said these look cool, and I haven't plugged it into my computer.
2: Uh, <laughs> you
1: got to outsource someone to do that for you. I'm thinking about it. Like I, I live kind of in the sticks, but uh, I would outsource the setup of my Google Glasses because even though I'm a tech geek from Silicon Valley, I don't have the time and the focus, uh, which. Maybe it would stress me out, but it doesn't. It just makes me realize I need to find someone who can do my, my tech stuff <laughs> that I kind of like. So it, It's a funny, a funny connection back to this. Well, we're, we're running towards the end of the show, and I feel like I only asked you half the cool things. I want to learn a little bit more about the quantified self stuff that you do because we share that a lot in common, and a lot of our listeners are into how do we track and measure the results of the biohacking we're doing. Uh, so, what are the other big quantified self things? Do you do heart rate variability? Do you wear like the basis wristband? I, I was uh, one of the early executives at, at the company that makes those.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, uh, I do. I do the Wee blood pressure, and but to me, the one that really works is is the Fitbit, just the steps. Okay. Because I do believe, uh, and I talk about this book I wrote on health, is that the more uh, the more you quantify, the the healthier you will act, and that uh, and that we have really compartmentalized exercise and movement in our lives. So if we're if we're good, then we go to the gym for an hour, and then we sit on our butts for 15 hours. You know that, and that's just not good for us. As you know, I've heard you on other podcasts that you've done talking about how that just undoes all the good. That the the gym does, so this helps me to try to incorporate movement into every part of my day, so the usual taking the stairs instead of the elevator I mean one of my favorites is I have kids about the same age as yours, and you know they 're short, so when I talk to them, <laughs> I squat down uh, oh. to their eye level, and then I have a little conversation, and then I pop back up so i 'm doing like sixty squats a day just talking to my kids. So, anyway, you can incorporate movement, and the quantified self helps with that a huge
1: amount. Edie, you just taught me something really cool there. I, I'm going to start doing that, and since I'm taller than you, probably being six <laughs> four, I'll actually get more more burn. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm a
2: little. <laughs> I'm I'm sad they're going to grow up to be teenagers, and then it'll look <laughs> weird if I start squatting while talking to them. <laughs> I'll be like, what are you doing?
1: That's hilarious. Tell me a little bit about. The global family festival, this mega reunion you're putting together in June of 2015. Uh, this is an interesting idea. Uh, what's the genesis oh, of it? Where'd I am it so excited from? about yeah. this. I,
2: I can't tell you. This is. I am my next book. I'm trying to build the largest family tree in history, and that to encompass all of humanity, all seven billion members of the family. And there are actually sites now that will help you do this. There's one called Genie. .com and another called wikitree and they have crowdsourced genealogy. So you merge your tree with someone else's. And by the end, I'm on something on Genie called the World Family Tree, which has 75 million people on it. So I'm cousins. I'm probably cousins with you on this. I'm cousins (laughs) with, you know, camp friends. I'm cousins. I've got 18 steps to Gwyneth Paltrow. Not that she's returning my calls, but, uh, you know, this is, uh, and 22 steps to Albert Einstein. And everyone has this. We're all so interconnected. So I'm so excited, and I'm on this world family tree, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to hold a reunion where you get thousands of interesting people who are related, and they can come and c- converse? There'll be talks. It'll be like a TED conference. There'll be games, uh, lots of uh, you know activities for the kids. So it's going to be in June of 2015, and I encourage everyone to come. and And if I could, just tell people just. Email me or go to my website and tell me your grandparents' names, and I'll figure out how we're related, so that you can uh, join us at this reunion. And uh, can I plug my uh, my email in there so that people know where to to go? Oh yeah, it's uh, a aj at Jacobs dot com or or just go to my website ajjacobs.com, dot com and just tell me your grandparents, and we will take it from there. And it'll be uh, it'll be. I'm I'm just. Uh, so excited. I, no, no, weirdly, AJ, I think I'm more excited about this than any other project I've ever done.
1: No, AJ, just uh, so you make sure you have your outsourcing arrangements in place, the first week this show is likely to get between 50 and maybe 70,000 listens and another 3 to 10,000 a week after that, depending on lots of variables. Uh, so you might get a few emails.
2: <laughs> I want emails. <laughs> please right. I want to be flooded. I yeah. want to be flooded. And you're all my cousins out there. And by the way, everyone, all 50,000, 70,000 of you are invited. Uh, the people we can find a link to will get a bracelet and be part of the world's fa- biggest family photo. And uh, But everyone's invited. And Morgan Spurlock's making a documentary about it. So it's going to be, I'm really excited. So awesome. please. Flood me. Flood me with emails.
1: This is a worthy effort, and uh, your books are, are awesome. For people who wanted to read more about your your books, the, the Mind book is called The Know-It-All. The Spirit book is The Year of li- Living Biblically, and Body Was Drop-Dead Healthy. Uh, so it was the fourth one, uh, My Life is an Experiment? Is that Exactly. Uh, all right, That's so it. we'll put links to all of your books in the show notes, and people can, I'm sure, find them on your website, which is ajjacobs.com. And A.J., there is one question that everyone answers on the show. Yes. Top three recommendations for people who want to kick more ass. It doesn't have to be anything you've written about, just what have you learned as a human being that other people should know about?
2: All right, I'll do it really quickly. One, just the idea of gratitude and being thankful for every little thing. Uh, One of my books was about reading the encyclopedia, so I read about all of history and I realized The good old days were not good. They were terrible. (laughs) They were smelly. They were disease-ridden. You died when you were 35. So, you know, we've got our huge challenges now, but at least we live now as opposed to in the 1800s. Uh, All right, so that would be one. My second would be, uh, like we talked about, quantify yourself, try to keep track of of the minimum, your steps, uh, because the more you are aware of what you're doing, the better you will act, you know. Uh, and then I guess my third would be, uh, we also discussed it, uh, the whole idea of act your way into a new way of thinking. You know, if you don't, um, uh, if you don't feel like you're confident, just pretend you're confident. That's what I do when I'm writing my books. I just say, what would a confident person do? And I start making phone calls, and I call the publisher and say, we've got to have this massive party when the book comes out. And then after a couple of hours, my mind catches up, and I start to become confident. So that is, uh, that is my other secret, is sort of the idea of uh, deed before creed, or fake it till you make it. Choose whatever rhyme you prefer.
1: Wow. Great advice. AJ, I appreciate that advice, speaking of gratitude. So thank you for it. And thank you for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's it's been an amazing pleasure. I love the way you think, and I love what you're doing. And everyone, check out this family reunion idea. It's really cool. It's simple to do. Just go send an email to AJ at AJJacobs.com and help him out on what is going to be a really cool documentary.
2: Well, thank you so much, Dave. And I'm going to figure out how we're related, because i got to have you there.
1: All right. I hope I'm like your second cousin's girlfriend's best friend or something. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no All right. doubt.
2: Peace. All right. Thanks, Dave.
0: The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.